Hello, everybody. Welcome to the PDX Beat Podcast, the culture show that keeps a finger on the pulse of all things Portland. I'm your host, Ahmad Olumba, and for the week of July 7th, 2015, I have to ask my Portland listeners in particular one very important question. How are you coping with this dagnabbit heat wave? It's insane. Now, I know Portland is not the only place that's experiencing record-breaking temperatures for this time of year. I mean, seriously, at least we're not in Pakistan, where people are literally dying from the heat. Sending them positive mojo BT-dubs? But it's not even August, right? (laughs) And it's Portland. We shouldn't be getting these high temperatures this early, should we? Well, well, well. A quick Google search yielded the fact that we were lamenting over a heat wave at the exact same time last year. Yep, how quickly we Portlanders forget. Never fear though, PDXers. According to our local meteorologists, our quote-unquote heat wave will last through the end of this week only. In fact, even AccuWeather.com states we'll be going down to the mid to high 80s starting on Friday. whoop de freaking do am I right? Give me my low to mid-70s and sunny, please. Better yet, can we go ahead and just skip to fall? My hoodies are feeling a bit neglected these days. Alas, we're not here to talk about the weather, are we? Nope. What we are here to talk about is my recent chat with Sean Weiss from the Portland-based subscription box service called Nomalicious. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with subscription box services like Earth, Taste Trunk, and the like, and could probably guess what Nomalicious is all about. But I asked Sean to explain how his company differs from these other services. So what we're doing um, is a, basically it's a quarterly subscription box of artisan food, mm-hmm. right? Uh, food of the Month Club, Jam of the Month, those have existed forever. Right. What we try to do is pick a new location every quarter um, and pick a curator from that location, whether they're a chef or a food blogger or even a media personality in that city or that region. Okay. Um, and so we let them pick the products. We don't go in and say, hey, we know what's best for your region. We, we trust them and say, hey, tell us what you're using every day. What are you eating? What are you drinking every day that we can share with everybody right. else? Um, so we don't necessarily um, add a new region every time. We just rotate through. Right. So we've done Portland. We've done Seattle. Uh, we just shipped out Baton Rouge, which is amazing. You know, you get some great Creole seasoning. Uh, we got a sweet tea barbecue sauce, which was amazing. You know, it's like I, I'm from the Midwest, so everything's either vinegar based or like a mustard <laughs> sauce. Right. So like I tasted this and it was amazing. You know. Right. Um, so that's what we do. So it's a new city every quarter, um, and you know we we want to look at you know combining cities, combining artisans, and seeing what we can do maybe down the road. Sure. And it started here in Portland. Uh, started here in Portland. Yeah, it was kind of one of those. Was sitting around the dinner table with a bunch of friends, going, "Hey, this stuff is amazing, but when you leave, how do you buy this?" Right. right. Like, they came here and it's like I can go to New Seasons and cruise up and down the you know the aisles every day and pick a million things that are made within a hundred miles of here. That that concept of what we get here with New Seasons and like Green Zebra and those here in Portland, that concept doesn't necessarily exist everywhere else in the country. Right. Whole Foods gets there a little bit um, if you know what you're looking for, but being able to say, okay, these are the things that are being made within a hundred miles of you. You know, you you probably don't even know. You know, and so that's it. Kind of exposes them, and then it's also like taking that concept and saying, okay, these are made locally here, but everybody in the country should know about them. Right. So that's what we kind of look at. Yeah, I was going to say there must be some some kind of myopia for the city of Portland people. You know, they don't even know. Like it took me a couple of years 
to learn about Jacobs and Salt. Yeah, <laughs> Princess absolutely. Princess is actually from here. Absolutely, you know, and yeah, I mean, I, I discover new ones every day. Yeah. Um, whether they're making, you know, making other, you know, there's three or four salt producers now around the country. Who knows who came first? Does it really matter? Probably not. Right. You know, it's kind of that if you I mean, if you talked with Ben, um, you know, like a rising tide lifts all boats there, right? You know, so if, if he's doing something great, he partners with, you know, Lardo to make a sandwich or, you know, something like that, which is what, mm. like, the guys at Bee Local did, you know, the honey, you know? Right. Or you get to the point where J- Jacobson Salt buys Bee Honey, which has just happened a couple months ago, you know? So somebody making it great helps pull everybody up, up in the region. How do you find your your resource yeah. people? Um, a lot of it's just connecting online, um, just doing that social media, connecting with people, seeing who's who's tweeting about a certain region. Um, our chef from Baton Rouge, I mean, he's got eighty thousand some odd followers on Twitter. So it's like you know we we're already following him. We're like, hey, he knows what's happening there. Let's let's talk with him, about right? It. You know, and everybody else has just been word of mouth. Um, nobody said no. Everybody loves to promote their region because sure. we're not necessarily asking you to promote yourself. You know, we want you to promote your region. And if you're a chef or you're an artisan already doing that, it's kind of in your blood. Right. Yeah. Uh, and what makes a city viable versus any other city? That's the thing. I don't know that there's a city that isn't viable. Oh. A lot of it is really going in and saying what is being made here, and it just comes out of the woodwork. You know, Baton Rouge, yeah, we had a little trouble maybe finding some product, but when it, but when it clicked, we had 10 like easily and we're just calling them up like hey can you you know how many can we get for this order um, portland seattle is really easy that culture definitely exists a little bit more out here i think maybe than the midwest but if you start really digging in cleveland's great kansas city's great chicago's producing a bunch of stuff you have places in charleston the south you know all of that is coming together and people are doing it it's just you have to find them Right. So uh, I, I went online uh, just a couple of days ago and saw that the Portland boxes were sold out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm basically bootstrapping this. Um, right. You know, we're a bootstrap startup. We're not taking any outside funding. We're basically funding it out of sale, you know, previous sales. Um, and so we kind of set a goal of ourselves and sell out, you know, 35 boxes our first time around. Got it. Boom. Out the door. Like within three or four weeks, they were sold. That was it. And so we're not def- necessarily doing like that open-ended sale. We want to be able to manage it, contain the logistics, because that's the other side of it. It's behind the scenes. I'm doing all the shipping. I'm doing all the logistics of getting product shipped in, reboxed, and shipped back out. Right. And, and what made you decide to do the subscription box route versus any other kind of retail um, process? Retail's hard. I mean, no matter what you do, subscription or storefront or just even online commerce, retail's hard. Um, the subscription box route, at least in the model we're doing, is is really nice because you're, you kind of know what you need to buy up front. So everything is basically like prepaid. Mm-hmm. Um, you purchase a subscription, we get your money, and then at, at the order cutoff time, then we're going out and buying the product to bring it. So we're not holding in the inventory, we're not overbuying things like that. So that model, it works really well. It's also, you know, there's a little bit of a fad going on right now with the subscription boxes. Um, the industry in general, I think we'll see a lot of consolidation over the next few years. And we'll also see a lot of the business models change and morph a little bit. There'll be some leaders, there'll be smaller regional players. Then you have like your big ones like Quarterly or, you know, Birchbox that are nationally known. I think there's also going to be some separation between premium boxes and sample boxes. Um, you don't see them a lot in the food space, but Birch Box, Conscious Box, which is also here in Portland, um, and a lot of the beauty subscription boxes, you know, they're getting their product either for free or pennies on the dollar because yeah. it's, they're samples that the companies are already producing. We're 
we're aiming for that that premium model because we are paying the artisan their wholesale price. We are not getting sample sizes. It is what you can go in and buy right off of the store. You know, and we want to respect the artisan that's taking the time to do it and pay them for what it's worth. So we're not asking for free product. We're not asking for promos or anything like that. And what makes a product better than any other product uh, in terms of what's included in your boxes? Um, well, there's, and there's two sides of this. So you have the artisan side, which is making the product um, and what tastes good. You know, we do get a sample. You know, we sample a lot of the products sure. before we ship them out. We don't necessarily get to sample them before they're picked because, like I said, we are trusting the curator, mm-hmm. you know, in that region that has hopefully personally used the product. They're not going to put their name on something that they're not using mm-hmm. um, or they wouldn't recommend because their name goes in the box, their name goes on the website along with those products. Um, and a lot of times they have personal relationships with those artisans mm-hmm. already. Um, the flip side of that from a business and a logistical standpoint, things, things are heavy. Barbecue sauce is heavy. Things in glass is super heavy. Yeah. You know? And so we look at it. So we usually ask our curators for a list of like five to six, maybe seven or eight. We'll, try to, we'll pick from that what we can logistically fit in the box, what we can pay to ship and things like that and not have to charge our consumers or our customers extra shipping or, or you know, glass handling and all that. With everything being so easy to order online anymore and, uh, and actually a lot of the uh, buying is happening mm-hmm. online, right? Um, and, you know, people are getting lazier and lazier. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Especially, like, you know, with the heat wave that we're yeah. having right now in Portland. Why, why step outside? Why not just order online? Do you actually see it going that you'll have more competition um, at some point in the future because that's the way it, retail is going to go? I think so. I think there'll be more straight-up e-commerce competition. Um, we've been asked if we're going to go like open up an e-commerce store. Um, I don't see that in our business plan. There's companies that are out there doing that in the same space with a lot of the same products we're doing. Um, Mouth.com is a great one, and they actually started out as a subscription box in New York, mm. and now they're one of the leading online retailers of artisan food. Um, and so that is, they're a huge player. There's a few other smaller ones. Some of them are going the mobile-only route. Some of them are teaming up with like Instacart or things like that. Um, but I think there's always going to be a segment of customers that appreciate the curation, appreciate the discovery, and appreciate the fact that they don't have to think about it. Right. One of the things we would like to do, though, is maybe have more of a on-demand purchase of our boxes, mm. pre-curated boxes, mm-hmm. um, whether they're gift, you know, gift boxes or you're buying something maybe for like a, an event where you want to give speaker gifts or custom boxes and things like that. So I don't know that we'll ever do like a true single product, carry the inventory type of thing, but we would do you know, something along those lines where it's still a boxes and you know, we're still curating it to some extent. Right on. Yeah. And, uh, and remind me again, how long have you been, has Nomalicious been around? Um, I came up on my time hop the other day. We've been doing this almost exactly a year. Nice. Um, so, you know, we made it through the first year. Um, that was kind of our, our initial goal. Our next milestone is to get through the end of this year. Um, and that was, hey, take our business plan. Let's execute it. Let's get through and just do it. We'll see where growth takes us from here. Nomalicious. Why that name? Um, honestly, this was put to a Facebook vote of my friends. You know, I was like, I need something food related, and so it was. It, you know, we had three or four options. The domain was available. We went with it. You know, um, I was surprised the domain is available. I know, right? Um, you know, we're definitely we're working on a few other things that may come out here, depending on where these questions lead. But um, Nomalicious will definitely is is my food brand. You know, it's going to live on no matter what we do, whether it's subscription boxes, whether it is a mobile app that we might be developing. Um, Nomalicious is going to live on as a foodie brand. I spend my days working in the tech industry here. 
I love to cook. I barbecue on the weekends. I'm up at 5 a.m. some days putting the smoker on on the weekends. You know, that is that is my outside life outside of outside of the business. Um, and so I want to stay involved in that scene. With Nomalicious, do you have any plans of going international? Uh, no, um, I, I definitely don't see that. Um, if we were going after going after funding, maybe um, I don't necessarily see that though. Um, just from a just from a strategy standpoint, I think there's other companies that'll manage that. Um, we have we have looked at um, bringing in international foods, mm -hmm. but not necessarily shipping international. I see. Okay, so you'll curate and, and still find. Yeah. Okay. Going back real quick to yeah. events. Do you have a cap as to the number of boxes you can prepare for an event, or and what's the um, um, lead time? Uh, lead time is probably going to be anywhere between 30 to 45 days. We definitely want time ahead of time to understand your event, understand your speakers, any custom requests. Every event would have custom requests, whether they're allergies or you know dietary needs, things like that. Um, and then also we need time to ship, get stuff shipped in. That's probably the biggest surprise I've had. Um, <laughs> you know, I work in, working in the tech scene, everything's instant, right? Amazon Prime, I'm there in a day, maybe two. Right. Um, the the food industry doesn't work that way. They still are, you know, they're still writing checks. They're still want, you know, ca you know, cash mm -hmm. on, you know, cash on delivery, um, and they're still shipping, you know, by the pallets or you know, just you know, USPS priority or ground. You know, so that's one of the biggest surprises in big things that we've had to adjust to logistically is just the time it takes to get product in um, into you know into into us just to rebox it like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash the PDX beat find us on Twitter as at the PDX beat email us at the PDX beat at gmail.com and check out our website at www.thepdxbeat.com. What are some of your favorite products? Um, probably some of my favorite products. Um, we mentioned Jacobson Salt earlier. I've got jars. Of it. I mean, I'll be honest, I have jars of it. Um, but if I had to reach outside of the Portland area, because there are so many, um, one of our we included them in our very first box a year ago, um, Republic of Jam out of Carlton, Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, they're a great little jam ring, I guess. I don't know mm -hmm. what you call um, But, you know, they make jams, shrubs, uh, marmalades, those types of things. And uh, she's doing an amazing job out there. Um, she's also just opening up um, kind of a food incubator out in McMinnville. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's going to bring other artisans into that area to do it. Um, so we, we love Lynette out there. Um, she does some great stuff. Um, other other products that I kind of love out of the Portland region, I'm trying to think of uh, Masala Pop. It's popcorn. It's an Indian, sure. it's Indian spice popcorn. Love them. They're in the same shop um, with uh, Marshall and the hot sauces, right? Um, so I love their stuff. Um, I use their hot sauces almost in everything I make. Most people don't know they also have, a, they also do dry rubs. Don't usually see them out in the stores, right. but if you if you go into the shop, they do some dry rubs. I love it on my barbecue. Mm -hmm. So those are probably two of the three things because I'm really focused on that right now, this time of year, right? Like I use those jams on my barbecue. I use the rubs on them. That's what I'm looking at. What is your biggest fear in terms of non-malicious? Um, probably my my biggest fear is, is not fulfilling customer expectations on an order. Um, not too worried about growth or traction right now. It is really finding that balance between 
Are, is the curator and myself, are we picking products that the customer likes? Do they get there intact? Did they break? You know, are we meeting their expectations of what they expect in a premium artisan box? Um, that's probably the biggest thing that we're working on right now. Okay. When's the next uh, wave of Portland boxes going to be available? Um, so the next wave of Portland boxes, actually, we probably are going to do Portland next. Uh, we started out in Portland a year ago. We're going to come back around. Uh, there's a whole bunch, you know, whole new crop of artisans here in town, whether it's Portland. Um, we might even reach down into the Eugene area because we'd like to, you know, expand that region, regional um, basis a little bit. Um, so we actually, our Q3 boxes this, uh, this year will be from Portland again. Are you able to speak a little bit about the, to the products that might be included? Um, don't know yet because we, okay. um, we haven't finalized a curator yet um, or, or what those products are. I have my eye on things that I would like to see. But again, sure. we don't want this to be just me behind a website. You know? So we're going to reach out, we'll find a curator and you know, see where they lead us. On top of his day job in the tech industry and managing non-malicious, Sean is also burning the midnight oil for his next big project. We are building a mobile app, um, surprisingly enough, that's what I do, <laughs> um, but it's not, not we as a company, but uh, myself and a couple other friends, we're building a mobile app as an offshoot of Non-Malicious uh, called Date and Time. Um, basically, it is a mobile app to find food events, chef's dinners, pop-ups that are basically in your region, because that's the other area that we've kind of discovered is a lot of these artisans are working and doing these pop-up dinners or doing right. a chef's dinner. It's hard to find those sometimes. It is. You know, you don't know about those until the day after when you start seeing them pop up on Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that's when you find out about it. And you're yeah. like, oh, hey, so-and-so from Top Chef was in town and did a dinner. Yeah. Uh, unless you're in the know. It was yesterday, unless you're in the know. Yeah. So what we want are doing is building a, building a way to kind of aggregate all of these sources that we're able to find, put them in an app so you can get a push message when, hey, a new dinner is added or there's a specialty dinner or the chef that you follow is in town doing a dinner. Cool. Um, so that's definitely something we're working on, so yeah. stay tuned for that. Yeah. Um, and that, to my knowledge, doesn't exist yet here. Uh, as far in as I know, it doesn't exist yeah. here in Portland. Um, there's a lot of good calendars. Um, if you're in the tech scene here in Portland, you know about Calligator. It's a great calendar for tech events. There's there's something going on every night of the week. I looked at that and I was like, that doesn't exist for the food scene. Yeah. You know, so we yeah. want to kind of take that model of a, of a community crowdsourced um, foodie calendar, basically. Yeah. What a, what a city to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so we're going to start here in Portland, add a few cities around the country. This will be global. This could be the global thing that we go after. Well, Sean, thank you again for speaking with me. Absolutely. It's been fun. Nomalicious is online at www.nomalicious.co and can also be found on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram. Links to those social media platforms can be found on their website. You can also interact with Sean on Twitter at Nomalicious, where you will quickly learn just how much of a Portland Timbers fan he is. But please, don't hold that against him. Hashtag wink. Hashtag RCTID. And that's our show this week, folks. Music featured in this episode is courtesy of local musician Sweet Nothing. Please do subscribe to this little show that could on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, or wherever you download quality podcasts. This has been a presentation of the PDX Beat. I'm Amado Lumba. Thanks for tuning in.